Hello and welcome to The Pathway. My name is Tim Deeks, and in this podcast, we dive deep into the lives of interesting characters from a wide range of backgrounds. No matter if the guest is a leader in business, sport, media, or politics, everyone has a pathway through life. And it is my ambition that through each guest's unique story, you'll be able to take something away to put into action on your own path. So let's start walking. Chris Grant and David Grant. Coleman held a couple back for Kellett. Here's a chance. Kellett with a bounce. He's got Atkins inside of him. Still Kellett. Well played, Chris Grant, the whole Winmar off. Kellett's kick gives Hawkins a hope. Oh, what a mark! You little champion, Dougie. Oh, you caught it beautifully, Bruce. And Dougie Hawkins with the sit on Mickey Dwyer. And he's brought the house down with that mark, hasn't he? Listen to the crowd. Not many people make the grade to play professional football, let alone play over 300 games. Rarer still is having a wing named after you. But my guest has all that and more. Here to speak about his pathway is Doug Hawkins. Welcome, Doug. Tim, how are you, mate? You're well? Mate, fit as a fiddle. I've been looking forward to this conversation for the last couple of days, um, especially because you're someone that is so open and, and honest and has such a fantastic story. I can't wait to get into it. No, Tim, I'm looking forward to the chat. Just kicking off, I want to get some, you know, like simple get-to-know-you questions. So finish these sentences for me. The first thing I do when I get up in the morning is? Wash my face. Is that your routine? (laughs) You just cold water? I sort of get up. I get up and sort of wash my face. If I don't have a shower and I'm running late, if I'm not running late, I'll jump straight in the shower and just chuck my gear on, go do what I've got to do. I don't go into the town or in the city because I live in back of Smart. Uh, so it's only a local sort of uh, down the milk bar to grab a coffee or something like that and grab the paper. It'll be just chuck on the shorts, uh, wind cheater, and off I go on a hat. And the, West, and the EJ Witten Foundation hat. Love it. My first job was? I worked, my first job was in a factory called Curry's Furniture in Sunshine. It was a furniture factory and I put motors in sewing machines. Can you believe that? <laughs> The person I would most like to have dinner with is? It has to be alive or not alive? Yeah, dead or alive, dead or alive. Well, it has to be Elvis Presley. I That's love it. Elvis. He was favorite favorite, song? Uh, favorite song from Elvis, uh, even though Frank Sinatra made it my way. Uh, I love Elvis singing my way. If you had a billboard and the words would get out to millions of people, what would you have written on it? What you see is what you get. I think that sums you up perfectly. You grew up in, in Braybrook as a kid. What was what was life like for a young Doug Hawkins? Tim, it, it was really tough time. My mum and dad split up when I was only three years of age. So me, my mum, my sister and uh, a stepfather come along later on. We lived in the commission homes down there in South Road, Braybrook. And, mate, it was tough. It was hard. We didn't know we were going to have... Uh, food on the table even though we did it was just a very very tough and hard time and you could, as you can imagine Tim the commission flats back in the uh, the mid late 60s early 70s uh, it, was, it was really tough and hard and again one of my great sayings from Braybrook what's not yours can become yours pretty quickly <laughs> <laughs> so if you had anything that you wanted to keep you wouldn't let it out of your sight uh, because uh, it becomes someone else's, particularly with my brand new skateboard. That's another story. When did you first remember picking up a football? Was it in the commission flats in Braybrook? 
100% Tim. I, I'll never forget it. I had a um, mum would go down to Footscray with with uh, my mum's sister, my auntie. Uh, they would go down and do their shopping. Mum would come home with the. Uh, uh, it used to be a rubber. Years ago, they were rubber footies, rubber rubber footballs. They were red, white, and blue. Obviously, the Bulldogs' colours. And uh, you could kick them, you know, as long as you could kick, kick a, a normal football. They're obviously the plastic ones, though, when you get a hole and then they're gone. Yeah. But these rubber ones are really strong. And uh, and you can kick them as long as you can kick a lever footy. And I remember that as a kid from the age of, you know, five or six, seven years of age, I never had a footy out of my hand. Uh, and when it was cricket season, I had a cricket ball or a cricket bat. Cricket and footy was for Dougie Hawkins. What made you love football so much? I just I um I just think that um I think it helped me a lot. It, it, it sort of um particularly my younger days. It kept me on track. It was something that I, I actually loved doing, and I actually thought I could be all right at it. If that makes any sense. Mm, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I, I just something I could do pretty well, and cricket. I could actually play cricket. I could bat and bowl pretty well as well. Uh, and the sport for Dougie Hawkins was a, a real sort of um. A huge plus because I wasn't super at school, but I, I was smart enough to get through. But no doubt, uh, my sporting ability was—I chose to be from my schooling. A lot of kids dream of playing football, but few seldom make it. What separated you to be able to make it to the professional league? I, I just had this—I uh, had this really strong belief in my own ability. I, I really did, and I—and I. And I just knew that after, at an age of around 14, 15 that I just started to become good at footy, really good at footy. And I knew I was, I was pretty good at cricket, matter of fact. I, I played Hatch Shield in the under-14s at Sunshine. I went and played Dowling Shield in the under-16s at North Melbourne. Uh, I, I actually was good at cricket and, and, and pretty good at footy. And, uh, and it was something that I, I actually learned from a young age, being able to kick both feet, which was very, very critical coming from the Braver Football Club. I was taught at the age of 12, 13 to use both sides of the body. And uh, again, footy, footy clubs and the cricket club, Braver Football Club and Sunshine Wasi uh, Cricket Club, what it did for me, Tim, as a young boy coming from those commission flats, it gave me a belonging. It mm. gave me something that I could go to. I had to be at training. I had to be regular. I had to be on time. Uh, it gave me a commitment and it gave me a belonging, which was very, very important for the boy from the commission flats. You had some fantastic mentors along your pathway. Ted Whitten obviously stands out. And I wondered if there was a life lesson that you took away from your early relationship with him. Well, Teddy was just, <laughs> Teddy was uh, was the best. Uh, Timmy was the best. Teddy obviously from the Braidwood Footy Club as, as I was. He was just, he was just a great character. He was just a great entertainer. He was obviously Mr. Football. He was like a father figure for a lot of us boys. Uh, coming out of Braid because he was a great role model because if Teddy Whitten could do it, why can't a Dougie Hawkins or a Robbie Grunewagen or a Brian Wilson who won a Brownlow medal at, at Melbourne back in 82 who come out of Braid Report, why can't we do that? Because Teddy Whitten can do it, why can't we do it? So he was a great mo- role model for us kids to go and, and give it your best shot. Uh, and, and meeting Ted for the first time, he'd come to Braybrook on fine ice. He was just fantastic. And he'd stand there and he says, boys, you know, follow your dreams, go for your dreams. doesn't matter where you come from. If you believe in yourself, you can do it. He just gave you that real belief in yourself that you can go and do it. And uh, he's been gone now, Tim, 25 years this mm. year. It's amazing. It's gone so quick. 
I miss him uh, nearly every day because his name comes up a lot of times. And obviously, I wear his hat, the foundation that young Teddy Whitten Jr.'s um, through prostate cancer, where Teddy passed away from. I wear that hat every day, just to rem another reminder and respect of the man that I had so much respect for. Uh, the great, uh, there's only one Ted Whitten, there'll never be anyone like PJ. He was the greatest, he was the best. He'd walk into a room, Tim, and the room would stop. Yeah, wow. He just had that aura, the charisma, that character about him. He didn't say he said Whitten. Uh, his presence just um, just, just uh, demanded that. And he could walk into a room of 100 people. He could shake your hand, Tim, and then you'd look at him and go, oh, G'day, Ted, and he'd go, G'day, Tim. He'd walk through the room, meet 30, 40 people, come back in 20 minutes and say, G'day, Tim, how are you, son? He oh. was the best at it. It was just fantastic. It's so fixated in my mind that day when he went around the, the, the final lap and he just, his strength, you could just even see it in his eyes then, even when yeah. he was really sick. Yeah, you're right, Timmy. He, he was nearly, nearly totally blind at that stage and he relied on young Teddy Jr. to tell him what parts of the ground he was at to say goodbye to the people of not just Victoria but the people of Australia that he loved and, and the game that he loved that made him and he made that. Uh, it was one of the most emotional things I've ever seen. I actually wasn't there, Tim. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I was really dirty on it because I, I spoke to young Teddy Ferret. I call him Ferret. He's a good mate, one of my great mates. And uh, We go on great. He said, listen, Dad's not well enough, Hawk. He won't make it uh, to the ground. Too crook. So what I did, I, I was at Fitzroy at that stage in 95, my last year. Me and my wife and my kids went up to Ridge River uh, just for the weekend to get away and I walked into the hotel and turned the TV on and there was Ted doing a lap of honour. He went and got a haircut. <laughs> he said, son, I'm going to go get a haircut. I'm going there. I'm going to the MCG. I'm going to make it. So he got out of his sick bed. He had a stroke. As I said, nearly totally blind. Amazing, amazing courage is what the man was about. Amazing. It was amazing, Tim. And I, I'm, really, I'm really dirty on myself and not being there and I actually didn't go see Teddy uh, Tim when he was crook late later on like when he was really crook I, I, I didn't want to see him that way I want to remember yeah. the great man as the big strong handshake that he had which would crush a hand I didn't want to see him you know a, a shell of himself that's understandable that makes sense and I, I, yeah. I sort of regret it a little bit I, I, I sort of regret it but that was my decision it was probably the wrong it was not the right thing to do i probably should have went and saw teddy would have loved to have spoken to me and seen me i reckon so anyway focusing on on your your career i mean pressure plays a big part in anyone's pathway it doesn't matter if you're an accountant you're a hotelier the day of a big game did you have a routine on how to handle pressure tim footy for me pressure and, and big games with Footscray, we were strugglers. We were a bit of a battling club in the early days, and it, we weren't really the highlight clubs, but particularly in the mid-'80s under the coach of the great Mickey Malthouse, uh, when he came to Footscray in 84, 85, uh, and in 86, when I did my knee, actually, in 86, we actually we played finals in, in 85. And, and for me, playing finals, it was like playing for Victoria. You're, you're playing the best of the best. It was the last stand. And for me, the pressure of it all, like I, I actually wake up in the morning, I'll do my routine, I'd have, I'd have eggs on toast, I'd have a milkshake. Um, can you believe that? That's what I, <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm laughing to myself just thinking about yeah, the current day players. Toast, milkshake, can you believe that? And uh, that's what I do. And I wouldn't eat until probably, I wouldn't eat until after the game. I'd have maybe oranges at half time or something like that. 
that was my routine. I, I used to have the same sort of speedo uh, uh, bathers under my shorts. So if I played well in a pair of socks, I'd try and wear them until their holes were in them. It was uh, we had we had an ass towel. Uh, I'd have the same towel. It was it was it was strange. It was a, something that, that I did regularly. Uh, but the big games were were just particularly the '85 final stuff was something very very special. Did you ever get like nervous, or was it more? Did you ever have like performance anxiety? Tim, to be honest, no, not not really. Um, I, I was pretty pretty well controlled. I mean, I could I could I could get right on the edge, but I knew not to to go that too far. I knew where some blokes would bang their heads on lockers and push and shove and want to run into you and bump. I was more the more relaxed and sit back and watch and look and, and just take it all in, if you know what I mean. I'd rather, I didn't want players to run into me, teammates, and push me and shove me. I'm going to get it anyway when I go out there. So hmm. why, why do it? <laughs> well, boy, I was next to Rick Kennedy. He was number eight. Oh, I love Rick. He was fantastic. But he was one of those aggressive, you know, when he crossed that crossed that white line, it was like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. It was, he was just, <laughs> and in the rooms, I had to try and hide from him. You know, like you're trying to hide from him. He was one of them, Rick Kennedy. I loved him. He was a fantastic player, great captain. Uh, but he was one of those guys who would get really, you know, excited by the, you know, the rant and the rave and all that sort of stuff. Where I just didn't like that stuff. Doug Hawkins, the hero of the Western suburbs, wears his working class background like a badge of honour. The Braybrook boy who went to Footscray as a skinny teenager joins that other famous former Braybrook star, Ted Whitten, as the only two players to wear the red, white and blue of Footscray in 300 senior AFL games. And it's fitting that both are larger-than-life characters in the West, both have permanent monuments to them at the Western Oval, and both are true champions. Well, it is a, a pretty good achievement, mate. It's, matter of fact, it's been a big build-up to this. It's been going on for weeks and weeks now, and... Uh, I'm glad the week's finally arrived. And great that it's on the Western Oval. Mate, very relieved. Uh, not down at the Gabba. Um, it'd be great to play at the Western Oval in front of you know, the Western Suburbs people and Footscray people in general, so that'd be great, mate. In these days of professionalism in football, it is unusual to see a player with such an empathy with his supporters. It's been a, uh, a relationship where it's been good for them and good for me. And, um, mate, they love their footy and they love their Western Suburbs type people. Hi, it's Tim's mum Mandy here and I hope you're enjoying The Pathway. If you love listening to Tim as much as I do, please subscribe and rate this podcast while you're listening. Back to you, Tim. One of the biggest pressure things, and you see it a lot in the current day, is kicking for goal. Why has kicking for goal never been something that players have been able to improve on? These days, Tim, I think they have too much they think about it. I, I watch players these days and I can just read their mind. I'm thinking that like, I just put themselves under pressure. And, and I watch players now, particularly 30, 25 metres out directly in front of the, the little angle. They go back and you know what they do? They have 15, 20 steps coming in. And then spinning the ball in their hands. The ball's not still. It's not, it's not over the leg they prefer to kick with. Um, and they take 15 to 20 steps. You get videos of the great... Jason Dunstall, Tony Lockett and Gary Ablett, they would kick off four or five steps yeah. and kick the ball 55, 60 metres post high and straight. You don't need to have all this run up and, and a lot of them do that. A lot of them do that and a lot of them put themselves under pressure by doing that. Have four steps. You can kick the ball 25 metres off three steps. Yeah, a goal kicking is a part of the game which has just gone backwards so I think it hasn't improved one inch and they should be better because 
they're full time now. And, and but I'm led to believe that some doctors or some sports scientists at the club say, oh, you can only kick the ball on your right leg 20 times or 40 times in a training session or something like that. I mean, what a load of rubbish. Like, you tell, tell Simon Beasley and Calvin Templeton, who were two great forwards in my time at Footscray, back when we were Footscray back in those days, mate, that was their job. My job was to run 12, 15 k's a game. Their job was to go back, kick their goals, and the train. And Beasley would have 100 shots for goal. Templeton would do the same. That was their job. Almost as if the closer in the more nervous they get. Exactly, Tim. And you're dead right. And, and I, you know, I get really frustrated. And I don't, I don't like the game when teams kick sideways and backwards and not go directly inside 50. I, I really do get frustrated. Call me old school or call me what people want to call me. We had 12 sides back when I started in the mid in the 80s. Uh, and don't, don't get me wrong, Tim, we had some pretty ordinary average players back in those days as well. But with 18 teams... I reckon this now, this is only my opinion, we have a lot of very average, ordinary AFL football players playing now mm. because of that 18 sides. Yeah. And I just reckon... And you, I, could, I, could, I could throw this at anybody and, and say to them, you tell Dougie Hawkins how many players in the AFL now can kick both feet uh, as good as each... as you know, your right foot as good as your left side or, left, or vice versa, left or right side. Half a dozen players. You wouldn't be able to get it. Nobody can do that. If I, and even though if I went to the um, the commentators and like now and say to them, uh, who, who tell me who could kick both feet real good, perfectly, like a like a Acker, like Manus or a Leon Cameron or a Teddy Whitten Jr., uh, Bob Murphy a bit later on, you know, Sam Mitchell was very very good both sided. Tell me who can do that now. No, I don't think there'd be many. And it's it's interesting. They almost when when you watch the football, that the reason why they get caught holding the ball is because they turn to get onto their preferred foot instead of going the actual direction they were heading because they can't kick on their right or left. Exactly, Tim. Exactly. They go back into their comfort zone and they go to uh, you know to to what they need to be doing because they can't kick on their opposite side of the body. No, you're right. You're on the money there. When there was a failure in your career. I'm sure you know you don't play as many games as you do without numerous bumps in the road. Was there a particular failure along your pathway that's led you to a to a success? I think Tim, when I when I um, hurt my knee, I was 26 years of age. It was 1986. We just played finals. I bet my horse on by 10 points in the 1985 prelim final, and we're on the right track again in '86. I just won the best and fairest, my first best and fairest in '85. Uh, Brad Hardy won the Brownlow medal. Uh, Simon Boozy kicked 100 goals. And the Footscray Footy Club are going to play finals again under the coaching of the great Mick Mulhouse. Uh, and I did my knee against Collingwood. Had a total knee reconstruction. Uh, my surgeon, who's still the Bulldog surgeon now, David Young, the great David Young, he said, Dougie, you may not ever play again. It's that bad. Anterior cruciate was gone. Medial ligament was snapped. I already did my posterior cruciate with the same knee back in 1980. Uh, he said it was a bit like a road accident victim. He said, mate, your knee's that bad, you may not play again. And what happened with then, Tim, which I, I didn't, I mean, we didn't know much about it back in the, the mid-80s, uh, Dougie Hawkins become depressed. And, mm. and I didn't know what it was. And for me, when I was depressed, I actually was drinking heavily. I was drinking heavily alcohol. I lost my job as a truck driver. My footy career was over. My fiancé left me. I was starting to just self-destruct. And I, and I didn't know what it was. 
But now I know what it was. I was depressed. I was living on my own. My fiance left. I was on my own living in sunshine. I was out with the boys having a drink, you know, getting into fights and that sort of stuff, just, just dumb, stupid things. Um, and I had depression. I didn't know what it was. How but I got you, out of it. Yeah. I, played, I got back to him. I got back playing footy. I worked my backside off, and that's what got me uh, back back um, doing what I love doing, uh, and that was playing footy. Thank you for being so open and honest because it's really relevant now. There's there's a lot of people that are going through some tough times and that they might not have found themselves in before. How were you able to get out of that place? Tim, it was, it was interesting. There was there was there was mornings I would wake up on the floor in my lounge room after a heavy drinking session out or in my house or or what it may have been, and and I think I think what helped me and and what probably even saved me, was the fact that I started to get back into my physiotherapy. I started to get a bit of running going. Uh, there was there was hope that I was going to play again. And it was something that had been my whole life and something that I lived for and, and I love, and that's playing footy. And, and I didn't want to finish my career at 26. Uh, and I wanted to prove a few people wrong that I wasn't a, a, done, a done duck. I wanted to keep getting back to do what I did. And then I think footy again, here I go, footy saved me. I think footy saved me. And then my yeah. wife come along, of course, Raylene. Uh, and she was a great, just fantastic for me. Just fantastic for me. Um, uh, without Raylene, who, who knows where I, I could have, could, could even be. <laughs> yeah. I may not even be here, Tim. It wasn't for her, probably. Who knows? What advice would you give to someone that was in a place similar to you back then? Yeah, today's more, Tim, I think there's a lot more support and help. Uh, don't be scared to go and see someone. You know, don't be scared to speak out. If you're not feeling well or you're not feeling uh, good about yourself, go and see someone. And if you've got a good mate or a friend or someone close to you and you can see some changes in their habits or they're not, you know, not eating well and they're not worrying about how they dress, don't be scared to say to them, listen, are you okay? Are you all right, mate? You're all right, you're all right buddy? Yeah, can I help you, mate? Or you're all right, you know? Ask someone if they're not well. That's very, very important. You know, that's a big part of it. And identify yourself that you're not feeling great. Don't be scared. It's not a weakness. Years ago, that was a weakness. Some blokes wouldn't would be too scared to talk about their, the way they feel. They, they just think that's a weakness, but it's mm. not. It's not. Uh, society's changed, and and you need to uh, go get that help and support, which is out there now, Tim. But certainly out there, we. We didn't have that back in the mid-80s. And there's a lot of players like Dougie Hawkins who went through situations of being depressed, you know, lack of form, being dropped. Um, now, footy's all over. All of a sudden, you haven't got a job, haven't got a trade. What can I do? You know, it's pretty, pretty tough, pretty tough. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. A lot of players now, they, they struggle with thinking about life after football. What, what was the experience like for you? Did they have programs in place? Yeah, Jim, I, I finished playing and I didn't want to finish. <laughs> I was 35 in my last year at Fitzroy. I got sacked from the Bulldogs at the end of 1994 after I broke the record of the great Teddy Witt, which was something very special. Uh, and then I got dropped uh, and then I got sacked, sorry, and then I went to Fitzroy. Uh, and then I had the one year there. I was going to play another year, but Bernie Quinlan, the coach, got sacked with three games to go. Uh, so they, the, the new coach, uh, Mick Noonan from Adelaide, he'd come into Fitzroy and he said, Dougie, you don't fit in my three-year plan. I said, well, if I did, I'd be 39 at the end of it. Probably I don't. Hmm. So I was being a little bit cheeky. And uh, he said, well, maybe it's best to retire. And I end up re retiring. But for, for me, um, 
Tim, I was very, very lucky. A thing called the Footy Show come along. It was 1994 when Eddie, Sam, and Trevor, uh, Trevor Marmalade, Trevor Vegemore, Trevor Marmalade, <laughs> Trevor Marmalade come along, and the Footy Show was just uh, was a juggernaut. It was a juggernaut in the mid 80s, and and I was a part of it. I was on the first show. Uh, I become a, a part of the the biggest program. Uh, as you can imagine, since Hey Hey Saturday, which is totally different, obviously, but the following that the footy show had yeah. uh, was enormous. And that was my next vehicle. My, my other vehicle was going to be coaching. I wanted to be involved in coaching. I love I loved, I loved coaching, which I've done up here in Vegas Marsh with juniors and seniors. So I was going to do that, but because of the media uh, juggernaut of the footy show, and then I did some radio stuff with Triple M, um, that was my my next vehicle, but that's not there for everybody. That's not there for every player. You know, again, blokes uh, retire all of a sudden. They got mortgages. They got kids. They got family. They don't have a, a you know don't have a real steady job. Even though we did have jobs back in my time, uh, it wasn't full time football. You had to work and then go and play, train, then you go and play, and the monetary wasn't what it is today, obviously. So it was very very hard for a lot of guys when when footy just come to a halt and a stop. Where do you see the the process for the transition now in the current days? I know you still spend a lot of time around the Western Bulldogs. Well, I think Tim, I think the the way the game is now, uh, players are getting advised a, a lot better. I think they invest and put their money away a lot better. Uh, and in saying that, they have a lot of time to themselves, which can be very dangerous, particularly with the uh, the uh, if, if punting or betting. Yeah. Uh, can be very, very dangerous for young blokes who have a lot of money and have a lot of time to their self. So that's a very, very uh, important thing as well. But I just think they're more better off managed and, 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 and more well advised where back in our days, we probably didn't have that. You know, you'd go buy a car, a panel van, or you'd go and spend this and go do that. Where in, in mindsight, when you look back now, imagine if Dougie Hawkins bet 10, bought 10 properties in Braybrook or Sunshine mm-hmm. or Williamstown. Yeah. You know, they'd be worth millions now, but you wouldn't you didn't know it back then. No one wanted to live in the western suburbs. No one wanted to stay, no one wanted to live in Braybrook. But now there's houses going there for eight hundred to two million dollars. Super trendy now. Imagine, yeah. imagine, imagine that. Imagine being smart enough going back to the mid mid eighties and, and buying properties there for twenty, thirty thousand. Gee whiz, I missed the boat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people did. Why <laughs> did they what? Yeah. <laughs> but that was that was the way it was, and uh, that that was the difference of of now. These boys now they'll invest their money, they'll buy properties, uh, and I'm pretty sure that most of them uh, be well set up because when they do retire, they won't be uh, doing what Dougie Hawkins does as a road traffic controller. But I love it; that's my job, and I enjoy it. But they they won't have to do that; they won't need to do that. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's something certainly player welfare. I, I, I do worry a little bit about, you know, you see those shocking concussions and almost each week and you saw what happened in the NFL. Have you had any side effects from after playing football? Yeah, Tim, good question, Tim. I, I got knocked out probably half a dozen times. And and I, and I reckon when I say knocked out, the, the lights have gone out, it's gone dark and, and I know the feeling of it. And 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 I reckon I reckon you're never the same for about three to four weeks. And then the boy from the other day, the other day from Collingwood, the boy... Um, Brody Mychek, yeah. How, how they said he was going to play the next week, it's just ludicrous. It's just a joke. It's just rubbish. 
Uh, I was actually going to ring someone. I was going to ring Mark Robinson, someone from the paper, and say, "Listen, are you serious about this kid going to play?" But he was out. He was knocked out, out like a light. He should not have, should never have played the next, and he didn't play, which was a smart thing to do. But see, in our time again, Tim, it was it's about um, not showing you're injured, not showing you're weak. But there was times I stayed on the ground where I told the trainers to go, and when they let me go, I actually wobbled and fell. Yeah. Uh, and from the head knock, from the head knock. I mean, I, she's, I, she's, I remember a bloke called Greg Burns got me really good in '84, boy from St Kilda, knocked me out. I went and spent four hours in hospital. My next three weeks of footy, I've gone from having 28, 29, 33 possessions to 11, 13, and 14. Because I wasn't right, and I played the next week after spending four hours in hospital, and I shouldn't have played because I wasn't right, you know, and. So the head knocks to, to players these days. I think the AFL has got it better, but in, in my t- in my time, it, it just it was a thing that you didn't want to show them you're hurt or you're weak. How, do Do you I have any side effects now, that. like like headaches or? Um, what's your name again? Who am I talking about? Here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no side effects, uh, Steve. It's been a great time having a chat with you, mate. <laughs> no, I. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. But in saying that, Raylene, my wife, could send me down to IGA to give me a list of four things to get and I'd bring back two. <laughs> <laughs> That's not great. <laughs> She'd go, yeah, exactly. She'd go, what about the uh, sausage? You didn't grab them. What about the eggs? You didn't grab that. Well, 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 it's not a hard thing to do to get four things. Surely you can grab four out of it. <laughs> but it's funny, Tim. It's, 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 I'm 60 years of age now. and It's gone very, very quick. Man, I can I can walk out of a room and go down the room and stand there and go, what am I here for? What, what am I going to get again? Uh, I got no, I got no doubt. I've had I've had some issues from head knocks. Uh, I got no doubt about that, and uh, and, and that's a big thing at the moment. We, we, we heard this with Johnny Barnes, yeah, Sean, Sean Smith, uh, Greg Williams, uh, Johnny the Rat Platten. Some of those boys are taking very heavy knocks, and we all did. We we all copped some good whacks. I mean. And again, so you don't need to be carried off the ground to be knocked out. You can stand there and, and wobble and stagger and then tell the trainer to go. Oh, yeah, that's a big issue, the uh, head injuries and concussion, mate. Trust me on that's a big issue. Yeah, I think still to be still to be played out. If um if there's yeah. a young person whose dream is to, to play professional sport, doesn't just have to be AFL, what advice would you give to them? I think the advice that Teddy gave me, Teddy Whitten Sr., and it was very, very, very simple. You know, believe in yourself. Follow your dreams. Doesn't matter where you come from or what upbringing you have. If you have that dream and that go in you, in your heart, go and do it. But give it your best shot. Don't say, oh, I wish I could have done that or should I have done that or could I have done that. Go there, give it your best shot of believe in yourself. Follow your dreams. And again, doesn't matter where you come from. Very simple message. Yeah, but a really important one. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. I think you've given us um, a really great insight into your journey. And uh, and I wish you the best for the future, whatever it holds, whether it's politics or you might run again. I, I did politics. I know yeah, you did. did. We won't go there, will we? <laughs> nah, never talk about religion or politics on a podcast. That was one of the advice I gave. <laughs> Do you still speak to Clive? Uh, I rang the other day and he said, Dougie who? <laughs> anyway, that was a bit of fun.
it's something I had a crack out and don't know a lot about politics, but I know a lot about people. That's the main thing. You do, mate, and you're one of the great people, especially in sport, and, and yeah. I know you do a lot of good good work in charities and you're always willing to put your yeah. hand up. So I really appreciate you and I appreciate your time. Tim, you're a star, mate. Good talking to you, brother. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and join me next time on The Pathway.